Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, and there's a lot of supporting verses tonight as we begin this brand new series uh, on the church. And uh, what I am looking at tonight is I am looking at the church, uh, because the church is not a building, it's the people of God. And I, I trust that you understand how very important it is. Now, I, I realize a lot of people have different concepts. I'll tell you this, that the safest thing for me to do to keep myself out of trouble is to stick to the Word of God. Because I find that sometimes people will disagree with me, and I try to be kind, but I, I, a lot of times, because I try to anchor myself to the Word of God, that if someone has a disagreement, then really what their, their issue is, is with the Word of God. And uh, certainly, I want to I open up the Bible. I want to sit down with someone. I want to try to explain it to them. There's a lot of new concepts. There's a lot of deviation away from what God has intended for His church. And I realize we live in a day where uh, a lot of methodology has, has changed. And uh, the one thing that we don't want to do is we don't want to water down the Word of God. We don't want to... Uh, we don't want to change God's word, and uh, we need to understand it because God's word is truth, so we need to understand that truth, and as we understand it, then, then we can take the truth and we can make application in our lives, and so if we're the church, then what we need to understand is what does God say in his word about the church, all right? So, um, but by the way, before I begin tonight, I mentioned in my Sunday or in Sunday school before we split up this morning that uh, one of our dear couples of our church, the Smiths, Gabriel and Marie, uh, are uh, just they've been going through. We've been praying for them. Brother Gabriel was going through cancer. He's had the uh, cell transplant, and he's going through the uh, the uh, evacuation, uh, the um, vaccinations. And uh, he's going through some very difficult things uh, in his life. His wife has been right by his side through all of it. And, of course, they've been trusting the Lord. I've never heard one complaint or anything from them. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. They, they're constantly praising God. And uh, they know that, that the Lord has a purpose and a plan and all of that. But uh, I told those that were here this morning that if you would like to be a blessing, they uh, not only, I think, would enjoy hearing from some of you, if you feel so inclined to maybe just jot a note or something and send it to them. Uh, it, again, if you haven't met them, talk to them, you might want to introduce yourself in that note or letter that you send to them or maybe a card. Uh, but also, they're having an anniversary this week, and I thought it would be a, a fitting thing. So if you, if you would like their address, I gave it out this morning. I have it with me. You can see me after church. I'll give you their address. Like I said, if you want to, and if you don't, that's fine. But I think it's, uh, sometimes it's good for people of our church to hear from someone other than the pastor. And so, again, I just try to encourage uh, some of our, our dear saints, some of our dear members. And many of you have gone through things, and, and I've done the same thing. I've tried to encourage not only you, but I've tried to have some of our folks encourage you along the way. I think all of us need to be encouraged from time to time. And so, uh, again, if you'd like that information, I can give it to you afterwards. Well, if you would, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. Just one verse tonight. We'll have a word of prayer. We'll get into this. And then we're looking forward to spending time around the Lord's table at the conclusion of our service. And the Bible says in Colossians 1, 
in verse number 8. Great verse here. The Bible says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Let's read that verse together, all right? Colossians 1.18, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening. I pray that as we begin this series tonight, that how long you allow us to be in it, that it would be thoroughly refreshing, informative, Lord, maybe even at times corrective. And Lord, I pray that we would have our, our hearts and our minds open to what you would have for us as your church. Thank you that we have an opportunity to assemble together. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us tonight. Lord, help me not to say anything that I should not say. And Lord, I pray that you would bless as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. And as we start this series, I love this verse. When I think about the church, the Bible again says that he, now the he is Jesus. If you look at the context in Colossians 1.18, that he, Jesus, is the head of the body. And the Bible is clear right here in Colossians 1.18 that the body is the church. Many times people say, boy, I just can't understand the Bible. But right there it tells us that the body of Christ is the church. And of course it says he's the head of the body, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things. Now preeminence, that means first place. Uh, this is his church. And you'll see that tonight in the message. But another great verse is in a passage in Ephesians chapter 5, which a lot of times we see the analogy in Ephesians 5, of the husband and wife in that relationship, but understand that relationship is a relationship that should be similar to the relationship between Christ and the church. Because as you study the Word of God, you find that He is the bridegroom and the church is His bride. It's a wonderful passage, a wonderful study. Don't really have time to get all into that tonight, but look at verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives. Now look at this. Here's the example. Even as Christ also loved what? The church. And he loved it so much that what does the Bible say he did? He gave himself for it. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something. We're blessed, are we not? That the Lord loved us. Think about that. He loved us that much. That he gave him, he left heaven, he was there with God the Father, he left the splendors of heaven to come to a sin-cursed world. Why? Because he loved us. He gave himself, he, look, he placed such a high priority. People say, Pastor, why do you make such a big deal out of the church? My answer, because he made a big deal out of the church. Jesus placed a high priority on it. And as somebody said, and I think it's a good definition, a New Testament church is a local, visible body of believers that is under the direct authority of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. 
You see, people say sometimes, boy, I wish I was the pastor, then I wouldn't have to answer to anybody. I have a higher authority, folks. Everything I do, I have to answer to the Lord. And the truth is, is that one day when we stand before the Lord and we give an account of the life that we lived, every one of us will give an answer of the life that we lived for the Lord or the life we didn't live for the Lord. And can I tell you that if you're, a, if you're a lady here, you'll give an account of your life. If you're a husband, you'll give an account of your life, men, but you also will give an account for your entire family. As a pastor, I will stand before the Lord for myself, my family, and for this flock that God's allowed me to pastor. And understand that there's a responsibility that comes along with being a pastor. And folks, when we think about what is a church, a New Testament church, it's a body of believers under the direct authority of Christ. It's a place where we come together. Listen, it ought to be a place where we grow as Christians growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a place where we learn from the Word of God. It's a place where we come together to worship Him. Now, there's a lot of churches that have gotten away from worshiping the Lord, and really, their worship is more man-centered. But see, ultimately, we are to worship Him. It's a place we heard about this morning in the book of Ezra where we ought to come to give unto the Lord, a place where we can come to serve the Lord. Look, a church is a, a group of believers that are regenerate, meaning that we have been regened, we've been born again from above, that we have been gloriously saved by the grace of God. It's, it is something that as you study the Word of God, you find that the church is separate from the state. You see, folks, we, as a church, should not mingle with the things of government, nor should the government interfere with what is going on in the church. That we find the, the total separation of church and state. Now, I do think that as a believer, we are to pray for those in authority, that we ought to understand that God is the one who establishes kings, God is the one that can remove them. We have a responsibility to pray for them, but look, my life as a pastor is not to be given over to politics, uh, to be dragging political views into the pulpit. Now, certainly if it was an election year and God gave me direction and maybe it was a topic, but again, I'm not going to sway you. That would be wrong of me as a pastor. But understand, I can teach some principles from the Word of God as long as we are following the clear teachings of the Word of God. So when you think about, again, the church being separate from the state, that doesn't mean we're a lone ranger. And a lot of times people think, well, these, these, these uh, Baptist churches, an independent Baptist church, when we use that word independent, it doesn't mean we, we don't want to be a part of anybody so we can do whatever we want. The absolute truth is, is that we are not a part of a denomination. We are not a part of a conglomeration of other churches that the head of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are under his authority. Are you all with me tonight? This is a lot of teaching, but I want you to get a hold of this because, again, there's, there's a lot of different concepts about the authority structure within a church. A lot of times when we have our our new members class and, and, and our starting point class, 
I will go over a lot of these things because, again, people come from churches where certain people within the church are the ones that are making the decisions for what the church is going to do, what the church is going to believe, how the church is going to act. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. That's why God has given us His Word. We follow the Word of God. Uh, I, I see a lot of times people think, well, you know, uh, and, and they, they misuse or misunderstand the teaching of the Word of God. For instance, when you study the Word of God, according to the Word of God, there's only two offices that God's Word actually gives in, in the context of a New Testament church, and that is the office of a pastor and the office of a deacon. Now, we have some men who serve, and I know some people may not like this kind of talk, but they serve in the capacity of a trustee. Now, the trustee part of it is not something that is a Bible position. It's not something that God created as an office of the church. It, it is more for the corporate side of our business dealings because even this yesterday, we sat and discussed some of the affairs of our church, some of the things that we've done in the past. We've had to work with, uh, the, the, and it's always fun, working with the city and the ordinances and all those types of things. And, and listen, I'm glad we have some men that help us in that capacity. But can I tell you that if you look in the Word of God, you can find the qualifications of a pastor. You can find the qualifications of a deacon, but you cannot find the qualifications of a trustee. It's not a, an office within the church, but yet a lot of churches, here's what they do. They have trustees and they have deacons and they basically treat both of those as the same office. Again, when you, when you study the word of God, the very word deacon, okay, diakonos means servant. But I've been in a lot of churches and I've pastored a church that what happens is, is those individuals or that church basically give power, authority that is not God-given to that office. If you study the scriptures, there's nowhere in the Word of God where there is authority and power given to those. As a matter of fact, what those deacons are is they are there to serve, to help the people, to wait on tables. And, and the truth is, is that even as a pastor... I'm not here to lord over anyone. I'm here to serve. Jesus, the Son of God, came to minister and not to be ministered unto. You see, he was a true servant leader. And we've got to understand all of this when it comes to the church and the construction of the church because we use a word that is the word autonomous, meaning that our church should be free from outside control but it also gives us the liberty and freedom to answer directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we are under his authority in his church. Listen, because it is his church, the Lord decides the direction. God decides what we will do. Do you know that your pastor on a weekly basis seeks the Lord direction for my messages? Now, there's a lot of times things are happening, maybe something in the church, maybe something in the, in, in, in the news or whatever. And a lot of times, boy, I want to be like some of those preachers and I want to be so relevant and jump on that bandwagon and say, boy, that'd be a juicy message right there, you know. But a lot of times the Lord says, no, I want you to preach this. I want you to talk about this. 
and we follow the Lord's leading. Look what the Bible says in Acts 20 and verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you, what's that word? Overseers. Now here's, here's the neat thing is, when you study the scriptures and you begin to look at some of these words, that is one of those words there, how God's given me the oversight. Uh, there's a lot of distinctions to the office of a pastor. Now watch this, as a pastor, one of the responsibilities is, is that, that as, uh, as a shepherd is to the sheep, that if there's something going on, if there is someone that could come in that would harm the flock, one sheep, then God's given me that oversight to make sure that doesn't happen. How many of you that have children are glad that we've taken steps and measures to protect your children so that nothing bad happens to them? And the same is true for you is I view this as, as what God has given me, the oversight, and the Bible says that I, as a pastor, need to take heed because the Holy Ghost put me here. And notice also to feed the flock of God, but here's the important part, which he, Jesus, hath purchased. How did he buy the church? What does it say? With his own blood. Now, folks, that was, honestly, when, when I think of myself and I think of mankind, that was way too high of a price. The Lord Jesus gave his life's blood so that we could have eternal life. <laughs> I think a lot of times people... When I see the way people have taken church and have just basically cheapened it, and the focus is not on the Lord, and then I, I know of a verse like Acts 20, 28, where the Bible says that he purchased the church with his own blood. As much as that upsets me, I know that it sickens God because of what the Lord did for the church. See, the local church is not ours, it's His. It belongs to Him. And because it belongs to Him, you know what we owe Him? We owe Him everything. We owe Him our loyalty. We owe Him our love. Folks, look what it says in Ephesians 5, 23. For the husband, here's the analogy again, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Folks, listen, you have to understand tonight, we could not be saved if it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had it right when he said, I am the way. There's no other way to the Father but by me. He is the savior of the body. He's the head of the church. Now think about this. Think about, and, and, and I'm not trying to make less of the Word of God, but, but go along with me with this. You're looking at a person here, your pastor. If the head was gone, how good would the body be? And according to Ephesians 5.23, who's the head of the body? Jesus. So the head dictates to the body what it should do. It's very simple, folks. Oftentimes, we, we, get, we get the cart before the horse. We want to do things our way. 
We don't want to do things God's way, but yet the Bible tells us he's the head of the body. He's the savior of the church. We've got to see it for what the Bible says. Because we've been bought by his blood, we owe him our allegiance. The local church uses, and this is why I love our church, and by the way, if, if our church wasn't this way, I would not be a member of this church and I would not be a pastor of this church. Our church uses the sole authority of the word of God for all of our faith and practice. Now that's, that's what sets us apart from denominations and cults. Because many times they're teaching things. A lot of you are like me. You grew up in a religious system that they taught you things when you were younger, but yet they never showed you in the Bible those things they taught you. You know why? Because most of them are not in the Bible. I was joking around with Brother Peter back there, and I said to him after church, I said, hey, listen, let's go outside, I said, so you can get baptized. And he says, what are you talking about, Pastor? I said, it's raining. We go outside and get sprinkled. You know, and you laugh about that, but that's the way I was raised, that if you were sprinkled by water that they called holy water, that you were saved. Show me that in the Bible. It's not in there. But see, that's the one thing that we have to understand is that the Bible is our sole authority. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Now certainly, we, there's plenty of evidence that there is a God in this world, that there is a God that created everything, but that's why God, listen, God gave us his word. Can I tell you tonight, I know you believe this, God's word is trustworthy. We have to understand the importance of the church, that the church, and, and when we're talking about the church, and I look around tonight, and I mean no disrespect, but the church, you and I, we're not perfect, are we? There is no perfect church. You know why? Because there's no perfect people but we do have a perfect savior. And see, the church is made up of real people, people that, as the apostle Paul wrote many times, the struggles that he had, even after he got saved, real people. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, and I don't know if I included this in your notes or not, but he said this, he said, if I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I should have never joined one at all. And the moment that I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. Don't you love church? <laughs> I, listen, I was talking to one of our ladies this morning. I've had this happen just almost every week. Somebody will come up to me and say, on the, before we'll start Sunday school or church, they'll say, Pastor, I've had a rough week. I've been going through a lot of stuff. I'm not, just not feeling well. And, and you can tell just by looking at them, although they don't say it, boy, it's just the grace of God that got them to church. And then those very same people will come to me on the way out the door and say, boy, I'm feeling a whole lot better now. I'm glad I came to church. There's just something about church. I love church. And remember, church isn't coming to a building. Church is getting together with the people of God. 
And we see that it's so important that we, we thank God that he's given us a place called the church that we can come together, we can grow through his word. Look, the church has uh, and had a real beginning. It was not man's idea. Hey, let's create a church. Let's start a church. And there have been a lot of men that have done that over the years. Can I tell you that the concept of the church was the Lord's idea? It was the Lord's idea. And Jesus is the founder. Now, we're talking about not just any church. We're talking about the true church, a Bible-believing church. See, sometimes people ask me, they, say, they don't like that word Baptist. You ever get around somebody that doesn't like that word Baptist? A lot of, lot of pastors have fallen prey to this. Boy, if I just took the name Baptist off my church name, it would attract a lot more people. Well, look, I, I would never do that, but if I took the name Baptist off our, off our church, it's not going to change what I believe. It's not going to change what the Word of God teaches. And if, 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 if the name's not on the church sign, but they come in, they're going to say in about five minutes, this is a Baptist church. So I might as well just tell them because otherwise they're going to come in and get mad at me because I took the name off the church. See, you see what I'm saying? There, there's a distinctiveness. And, and, and the reason that we are Baptists is because of what the Bible teaches, the Word of God. So let's talk about this matter of the beginning of the church. Notice, first of all tonight, the calling of the church. If we're going to trace the church back to its beginning, then what we have to do is we have to go back and revisit the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because remember, it's His church. He started it. And Jesus came to this earth to seek and save that which was lost. Now, we can look in the Old Testament. We can find... Uh, what is known as the nation of Israel. And I'm not, I won't take the time tonight, but I will tell you from the Word of God that I can show you there is a difference between the nation of Israel and the church of the living God. There's a total difference between the two. You can see that distinction if you study the Word of God. Now, the reason I said that is because a lot of people today believe that the church is a continuation of the nation of Israel. It is not. And one of the biggest reasons is because we are not Jews. All right. So understand tonight that if we're going to trace the calling of the church, notice we have to do that by Jesus's invitation. Because the first uh, sign that we see of this forming of the church, the invitation of Jesus, the calling out of those individuals was in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus called his first disciples. Look at Matthew 4, verse 18 there in your notes. Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren... Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of what? Amen. Now talk about blowing a fisherman's mind. You know, all my life I've caught fish, and you're telling me I can, I can fish and catch men? You know, and they're trying to understand this. Now, again, we had the privilege of going to the Sea of Galilee. We were on a ship a vessel going around on the Sea of Galilee. Boy, it was so cool to be right out there on that boat. And Brother Tim, I hope you guys get to do that. But, but just looking at all the points of interest while you're on the Sea of Galilee and seeing right over there is where Jesus fed the multitude. And right over there is where Jesus called Simon and Andrew to follow him. And I was thinking about all those things, how, how awesome it would have been to be there when Jesus began to call out his first disciples and he says unto them these two simple words, follow me. You know what a disciple is? A follower. 
a learner. You know what we are? We're disciples. We're disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says when he called them out and says, I'll make you fishers of men, they straightway, boy, there was something about that invitation that they couldn't deny it. They couldn't brush it off. And the Bible says straightway. You know what that means? Right away. They didn't hesitate. They just, they dropped. Now, folks, listen, that was their livelihood. You know, that'd be like me back in the day when I was working construction and I had my drywall tools and I had all these things that I had spent all this money on that I made all my living doing. And the Lord says to me, and by the way, the Lord did say to me, follow me. And you know what I did? I just dropped it all. Those tools that I had, I made a living. I provided for my family. But when the Lord said, follow me, guess what? Those tools didn't matter anymore. And here they are. They said, follow me. And, and they dropped everything straightway. They followed him. And the Bible says, going out from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And look at the words, he called them. So first, it was Simon and Andrew. Then he sees two other brothers, the sons of Zebedee. They're also known as the sons of thunder, right? Remember how their mother says, hey, listen, I want one of my boys to sit on your right hand and one on your left hand. And Jesus said, that's not mine to get. What a, listen, can't fault a mother for wanting something great for her boys, right? And so here it is, is that the Bible says that he called them and they immediately, notice it doesn't say straightway, but same thing here, how they left the ship, they left their father and they followed him. See, Jesus began to call out these individuals. You know what he was calling them to do? And this is a great lesson for us tonight is, because we're talking about the church, he was calling them out to leave the world and to follow him. Isn't that what a Christian should do? Leave the world and follow Jesus? No, I'm not. Look, I, tonight I'm not trying to get all of you to surrender to full-time ministry. But I do think if you're a Christian, you ought to be full-time following the Lord. That was pretty weak. That's what I thought. I thought I was in the right kind of church tonight. But look, eventually, here's what happened was he called 12. Now, a lot of people have different ideas. Again, I'm not going to get into that tonight. Why 12? You know, it could have been a baker's dozen. I don't know why he didn't go for 13, but he stopped at 12. And he calls them out to follow him. And Jesus began to assemble together. Now, again, you might differ in this, but I believe personally, when you look at a church, you look at the construction of a church, God calls a man to be the, the leader, the, the, the one that is the shepherd, the one that's been given oversight, the under-shepherd under Christ's authority. And there has to be some, some sheep, there has to be a flock, right? So, look, I think that it's easy to say that the, the pastor of the early church would have been Jesus. And his disciples would have been his church. Now, talk about a rough church. <laughs> I mean, these guys, I'm telling you, they came from every walk of life. And guess what Jesus did to these 12 guys while he was on this earth? He preached to them. He taught them. He mentored them. You know what happens when you come to church? You're supposed to learn from God. 
God should teach you. God should mentor you. You should be growing as a Christian. And Jesus began to, to take this the, by invitation. He began to call them out. And these men, here's the great part. I mean, you think about Peter and John and Andrew and all these guys, how that these men, according to the word of God, you know what they became? The foundation of the church. Remember, the church was in formation. And as Jesus began to call them out, look what it says in Ephesians 2.20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, they, they built different back in this day than we build now, how they laid foundations and so on. Here's what they did. They started with a cornerstone. And watch this, from that corner, that stone, they began to build in both directions. That's how they formed the foundation. And ever, look here, everything was built on that cornerstone. Remember what Jesus told Peter, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. He's the chief cornerstone. Are you still with me tonight? Okay. Stay with me. I'm just going to, I'm trying to follow the Lord's leading, but there's a lot of information here, and I just want you to drink it in, take notes, think about it, and again, if you have some questions, we'll try to help you out along the way, but after Jesus called his disciples and he spent time with them, here's what he did. He, look, he did not come to this earth to stay. He came for one reason, to give his life so that all who believe in him can have eternal life. But before he left, he did something. He commissioned them. He gave them their marching orders. And what he gave to them, remember, they were the church. What are we? The church. The very commission that he gave to them is still the same commission that we have today. I hope you agree with that. Now, whether or not you do, if you don't, then you're going to have to take that one up with the Lord. Because you find here that he's, he's dealing with the church, and he begins to commission them to minister. And here's what I love about it. Remember how we talked this morning about doing God's work, God's way, and God will supply? Well, here's what happens. He sends them out while he was still on this earth. By the way, I think that was a wonderful thing. He, Jesus didn't just send them out and then leave while they were gone. He sent them out. You study in the life and ministry of Christ while he was on this earth. He sent them out to minister, and then they came back, and they remember how they had conversations. Lord, why couldn't we? Why couldn't we do this? But to, see, the one thing that he gave them was he gave them his power to do his work. See, folks, we can't, if, if we're going to do church, we cannot do it in our own power. We have to have his power on our lives, his power in this church. And so he, he gave them power. Look at Matthew 10, 1. When he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast him out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. See, from the beginning of his ministry, you know what I find is Jesus had the church in mind. I mean, this is, this is what he was thinking about from the time he began to call these individuals to follow him. And so before he started the church, listen, 
before Jesus even laid that beginning foundation, you know what he was doing? He was already training and preparing the future leaders of the church. See, preparation always precedes blessing. And we find that Jesus now, the calling of the church, it came by Jesus' invitation, but then notice it was by Jesus' authority. This wasn't by man. It wasn't of, remember, that's why they struggled with who Jesus was. Never a man spake like this man. When Jesus healed people, when Jesus calmed the sea, I mean, Jesus, the word authority is a synonymous word with power. Jesus did things that no one else could do. And, and people were amazed at the things that he did. But listen, that authority was something that he stood there. And we actually were at Caesarea Philippi where Jesus stood and he told Peter. And again, I mentioned this verse, look at it. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter. You're Peter. Folks, you have to understand what Jesus was saying. He says, but upon this rock, he wasn't pointing at Peter saying, that the church is going to be built on you, Peter. He says, upon me, upon this rock, I will build my church. It was sad when we were there, and we were right there by the Sea of Galilee, and there was a huge statue there of Peter, and that verse was right below that statue. There was no, nothing there that looked like the Lord Jesus Christ to give you any indication that it was on Jesus and on Peter. It was all about Peter. And there were so many people around that statue, I couldn't even get close enough to it. There are so many people today, and I was raised that way. Aren't you glad that the true church was not built on a man, a sinner, just like me? Because everything man does eventually will crumble and fall. And so I find here the authority that when Jesus says, thou art Peter, if you've ever studied this out, and again, you don't have to know the, the Greek language, but the word Peter in the original language is the word Petros. And Petros is a, a pebble, a small stone. And Jesus, when he says, upon this rock, that word rock is the word Petra. Did you hear the difference? Petras, Petra. Petra is an actual massive rock structure. It's like a cliff. It's a huge fortress, a rock structure, whereas Petras is a little pebble. It's just a little bitty piece of that Petra. And Jesus says, it's not upon the Petras that I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build it on the Petra. I'm going to build it upon myself. On the, it's the church of the living God. See, God's assembly, the church wasn't founded on human authority. It was founded on God's authority. And remember that verse we read in Colossians 1.18, that in all things, Peter might have the preeminence. No. In all things, he, Jesus, might have the preeminence. See, there are many people are missing it. You know, the Catholic Church I've mentioned, it venerates Peter as the founder when the scriptures clearly point to Christ as the founder of the church. See, the, the thing that we need to see is that 
a belief in the deity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is God, was God in the flesh, and that he had all authority from the Father. That is so crucial, folks, in our understanding of the formation and the origin of the church. Look what Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul writes, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now notice how he describes it. He says, God was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Folks, that right there does not describe Peter. It describes Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What a great description there. Now, folks, that's the reason so many people struggle today with the concept of church because they're, they're trusting in something or someone other than the Petra, the rock that the church has been founded upon. See, we've got to see the calling of the church, but then also, secondly, let's look at the composition of the church because Jesus organized the institution of the church, but who is it that belongs in the church? Who is it that the church is made up of? And sometimes, we might even have some folks here tonight, and I'm glad you're here, sometimes people think, well, how do you become a part of that church? And I, I really feel as a church, we try to help people understand how to become a part of it. Can I tell you, we're not some kind of social club. Uh, we're not like the Elks and the Moose and all those other lodges that are out there. Uh, there's not, folks, look, there's, there's, there is a way that you can become a part of the church. You say, what is it? Is it something that Bible Baptist came up with 68 years ago? No, it's something that the Lord Jesus Christ gave 2,000 years ago. And that's what we need to understand is, how do you become a part of a local body of believers? Because we as a church are not a building. We're not a location. We are the living habitation of God's people. Look at what it says there. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, but look at verse 15. We already saw verse 16. The Bible says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the ground of the what? Of the truth. Remember, Jesus said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you what? Free. Well, where should people hear the truth? On CNN? On ABC? On Fox News? No, in the church. God's given the church to declare the truth of the Word of God. And guess what the church is? It's not Bible Baptist building. The church is you. And that means every one of us need to be telling other people that we come into contact with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's given us that responsibility. So notice, first of all, what is composed of the church is it is a called out people. Now, the Bible uses the word church, and we understand, I believe that the King James Bible is God's word for the English-speaking people today. I believe that as you study it, you find clarity. I, I believe that there is a, a synergy there that lines up with the Word of God. I believe that there's a lot of other things that we could talk about in time, but the word that is used here that we see in our English church is the word ekklesia. Ekklesia. The word ek means out, and kaleo is a verb. It means to be called. So we are called out. Remember what Jesus did with his disciples? 
He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Remember I said, Jesus is calling them out of the world to follow him. Are you with me? So the very definition of what a church is, the composition, is that we are a called out people. And when you think about the word church, now this is important because a lot, of, a lot of times people look at the word church and they're wondering, well, that's your definition. If you study it out, there's 115 times that the word church is used in the New Testament of our Bible. 112 of the 115 times, all but three times that that word is used, it is used and refers to a local assembly of believers. The church at Rome, the church at Corinth, the church in Colossae. You find in the letters in the New Testament written to the churches, it's in the context of a local assembly of baptized believers. A church is a group of people who belong to who? To Christ. This is his church. So we are a called out church. How are we called out? The first way that we are called out is through salvation. Because we become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. It says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. The Bible tells us, that it is God's word which liveth and abideth forever. We're saved by the word of God, by the grace of God. We receive the power that we talked about, that power that he gave to his disciples that we now identify as uh, believers in Christ, that we are identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that this morning when Jeff presented himself as a believer in Christ. Then they that gladly received his word. That's talking about salvation. Folks, look, there's no reason to stir the baptistry waters if there hasn't been a regeneration that's taken place in the heart. Now, I, I've, I've shared this before. I'll just mention it and move on. But when you study Acts chapter number 8, where, where Philip goes and he joins himself to the, that Ethiopian eunuch coming away from the city, and he's got a copy of Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 53, and he's reading it, but he doesn't understand, kind of like I did before I got saved. And he says to him, he says, understandest what thou readest. And the man says, well, how can I? Except some man should, should, should come and help me to understand it. And so he gave Philip the opportunity to join himself to that man, and he, he came into the man's chariot. He began at the same place, and he preached unto him Jesus. He's, he just... Folks, look, if somebody's right there, don't take them around, around the horn and confuse them. Just go right where they're at. And, and, you know, I had a man one time, he was asking me about, uh, you know, the Bible. He says, I'm saved because the Bible says you got to be born of the water and born of the Spirit. Well, hopefully right now you're thinking about where that's at in the Bible. Nicodemus, John chapter 3. Got to be location conscious. And I realized that man wasn't saved. So guess where I went? John chapter 3. Jesus said, you must be born again. The only way you can be saved. Folks, again, do you see the priority of the word of God? And so oftentimes in our lives, we see how we study a passage like I was talking about in Acts chapter number 8, 
where Philip is dealing with this Ethiopian eunuch. And the man says, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip didn't say, oh, you're right. There is water there. Hey, let's go get baptized and you'll be saved. No, the Bible says that he said to him in the very next verse, if thou believest that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, thou mayest. In other words, Philip was saying, we ain't getting out of this chariot. I ain't getting in that water unless you are saved. And if you are saved, then hey, let's have a hallelujah time. And that man believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and they both went down into the water and they came up out of the water because he baptized. See, there's an order that God gives. Salvation, then baptism. That's God's order. That's not my order. When people say, well, how do I become a member of the church? Go back to Acts 2.41 that I shared this morning. Then they that gladly received his word, salvation, were baptized and the same day they were added unto them, the church, about 3,000 souls. That's a good day in church. 3,000. Hey, how many did you have today? 3,000. You know, it's just an average day at church. But see, we, we become a part of this called out assembly by this matter of, of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important that we see this, that we're identifying. That's why I told Jeff, and I, I shared that with you as a church, is that what happened in Jeff's heart, God, by his Holy Spirit, put that on his heart when he saw the teens on Sunday night, and he thought to himself, you know, I've been saved, but I've never, I've never gone through believer's baptism. And I explained to him, I said, look, Jeff, the only thing that happens when you go through that baptistry is you get wet. But the reason we do that is because Jesus established the mode of baptism, is, which is by immersion, the very word, people say, well, why do, we, why do we go under the water? Well, let's go back to the Bible. Because the word baptized is the word baptizo. And baptizo means to dunk or to plunge underneath. How many of you remember the days of tie-dye? Anybody? Come on, age yourself, put your hand up. Tie-dye, right? And look, you, you understand, you don't mess, you don't stick your hand in the solution that you are dyeing a shirt, right? Because if you're dyeing something purple and you stick your hand in, what are you going to have? Purple hand, right? So, so here's what they would do. They would baptize. Remember Lydia? She was a seller of what? Purple. Purple was a high commodity. It was, it was a very valuable fabric to have. So here's what they would do is they would take the garment, they would stick it in and, and by the way, they didn't have, what's the, the brand, Rite or Rit or whatever it's called? Yeah, they didn't have that stuff. So a lot of times what they would do is they would use, they would use uh, uh, vegetables, they would use uh, fruit and various things like that, and they would grind it up, they would put it with water, and, and oftentimes that's how they got the coloration. And all of us know that you don't drink grape juice with a white shirt on, right? And, and so what they would do is they would have that in there and they would boil it, they would put the fabric in and then they would take a stick and then use their hand and they would baptize it, put it under. But why do we baptize? Because that's what the Bible teaches. See, we're a Bible-believing church. 
Why do we do things the way that we do? Because that's what the Word of God teaches. And when you think of baptism, look at this picture in Romans 6 and verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ. Now remember, he's the head, we're the what? Yeah, stay with me. Okay, this is class. There's going to be a test later, all right? So it says right here, we're baptized into Jesus Christ. We're baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by what? Baptism. Now look, do you bury something above the water? Do you bury it by sprinkling it? No, you put it under the ground, right? So when you think about baptism, we, baptism is an outward reflection of what's already taken place inwardly. Look, can you see somebody get saved? Now, I mean, I, if somebody's, if Brother Richie's leading somebody to Christ, I can hear him share the plan of salvation. I can hear that person pray and trust Christ. But I didn't see what happened because it took place in the heart. But you know what scriptural baptism, believer's baptism is, is that it's an outward reflection or manifestation of what took place in the heart. That's why, look here, you study it out. That's why so many of these Middle Eastern countries that have totally different belief systems, and they're very strict to the point of death, that people are getting saved. But to take that step of baptism, many of them realize if they do that, they'll lose their life. Because you cannot get baptized without getting into the water and going under the water, identifying publicly with the Lord Jesus. Does that make sense? So when you think about us being a called out assembly, baptism, it, it doesn't wash away our sins. A lot of times people try to get us to believe that. It identifies us with the local church. Again, there were added unto them. That's talking about the body of believers. There was a church in existence. Remember, Jesus called out. If you study it out, does anybody know there were 12 that were called out? Anybody know about the time that they met in the upper room and right after that, how many of the 12 had multiplied to? Anybody know? It says in the Bible. Huh? 120. And then the church, according to the book of Acts, began to multiply. We know 3,000 were added on the day of Pentecost. And we know that there were other thousands. By the way, it was addition in Acts 2. If you study the Word of God, it goes to multiplication. Hey, I never was a mathematician, but I'll tell you this. You can get to definitely higher figures by multiplying than you can by adding them. You know, people were getting saved because they were believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I think about this matter of baptism and identifying with the Lord, being a part of a called out assembly, can I tell you historically, you study this out, our forefathers, and many times they were not referred to as Baptists. You can study Baptist history. There were, there's always been a group of people that believe the same body of doctrine we, we hold to today. And, and the word Baptist actually was a term, a derogative term, that people who hated Christians gave to Baptist people. But they were known as Donatists and Monetists and Waldenses and Paulicians, those that followed the teachings of Paul. Uh, we were known at one time as Anabaptists, which is a rebaptizer. What in the world are they talking about? I'll tell you what they're talking about. They sprinkled their babies when they were born, but when those people who were Baptistic realized that they had never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and they got saved, guess what they did? 
salvation than what? Baptism. But see, the Catholic Church and many that opposed Christianity said, hey, listen, you've already been baptized. That's why they started calling them Anabaptists, because they were rebaptizers. And can I tell you, a lot of our forefathers were drowned and they were murdered and they were slain and slaughtered because of their belief that the Word of God teaches on baptism. Folks, I'm not even talking salvation. I'm talking baptism. Either we believe everything that's in here or we don't believe any of it. And they believed it that much that they were willing to give their lives. I'm just talking about what is the true church. And when we think about the church, we're talking about a called out people. But notice it is one that consists in local assemblies. And we've talked about this, but there's a word that's been thrown around for many, many years. And I've heard people, and I've had these discussions. People say, well, we're a part of the universal church. And people talk foolishness all the time. Look, the church is not simply a universal body of saved people. It is comprised of local assemblies. For instance, we are Bible Baptist Church. There's a church across town that's the first Baptist church of South Broward. There are, there's a church up in Coconut Creek, first Baptist church of Coconut Creek. There are Baptist churches. I was a part of Lancaster Baptist Church in Lancaster, California. So there are these local assemblies that consist of saved, baptized believers. Look in Acts chapter 9 there, and you know it's in verse 31. Look at this. Then had the, notice the plurality, churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost they were what? Multiplied. The churches began to grow. Real churches were functioning. They were multiplying with, without, listen, without denominations, without councils, without uh, interference by some papal authority. Look, real churches were functioning in the first century, and that's why I love to study God's Word. That's what you find in the book of Acts. It's, it is the continuation of the true church that Jesus began in his earthly ministry. And that, that is why we study the Word of God. These were autonomous groups of believers who had biblical church leaders. They were functioning under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, in a biblical sense, listen to me now, in a biblical sense, the universal church will be assembled when Christ returns for us. The Bible actually refers to this in Ephesians 5. Go back. Again, we've been there a couple times, but look at verse 25 again. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. He gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, the church. Well, how does he do that? With the washing of the water by the what? By the word. Follow me now. That he, Jesus, might present it, the church, to himself, Notice these words, God's words, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now, you may already know this, but the word Catholic, it means universal. It, it, it means universal, an all-embracing church. I mean, I just read last week and. Again, I'm not going to get into that, but it's amazing some of the stuff that the Catholic Church, through their leader, is propagating and how they are 
they are basically uh, tearing down biblical lines. And of course, they've been doing it for many, many, many years. And some of the stuff that the Pope is saying, look, we now agree with this. And, and when I look at what he's saying they agree with, and I look in the Bible, I say, boy, that is a huge mistake. They call that heresy. And for years, they slaughtered Christians, Bible-believing Christians, because they called them heretics. But they need to look in the mirror. Because some of the things that they're teaching people today and they're standing for today is heresy. And look, I, I'm going to tell you, we look forward to that day when we'll all gather together with the glorious church. But until then, listen, God's given us one responsibility, and that is we are to be committed to assembling ourselves together in local assemblies, local body of believers to do what? To carry out Christ's mission on this earth. Because the Lord went back to be with his Father. He's sitting at the right hand of God. And you remember that foundation, the apostles? Well, guess what? We are a direct line beginning with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church. And we are to be carrying out his work, his way. Notice thirdly tonight is the continuation of the church. This is what we've been talking about is the church. See, how did a group of first century believers... How did these believers begin to multiply to the point that now 2,000 plus years later that there are local churches all around the world? Hey, think about this. We already know we have 60, 59 missionaries that we support worldwide, that those, those missionaries and those works that they're a part of, that they went there and scratched off a spot in Peru and they scratched off a spot in the Philippines and they went they went around the world with the gospel guess what they're doing the very same thing that we're doing here tonight guess what they're using the very same Bible that we're using here tonight now some of them may be using it in the language of those people that God sent them to but they're still using the same body of doctrine that that the Lord Jesus Christ gave to his disciples that God has preserved to our generation and we need to see the importance of how the church is continuing in this day. How can we, as the church that the Lord began, how can we continue His purpose? Now, don't you think it's important that we understand what does the Lord want us to do? Okay, well, the, God gave it to us. I mentioned it earlier. Look at, first of all, this happens through Christ's commission. He gave this to His apostles, Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore... Teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe how many things? All things. And whatsoever I've commanded you, lo, I am with you always. Well, how's that possible? How can, he's in heaven. Because when we get saved, when we put our faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in our lives. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guides us in all what? All truth, right? The Holy Spirit leads us. So this commission that he gave to them, and I, I, again, I love to do studies of words, the word commission. Remember, Jesus came and he had a mission. His mission was to seek and save what? The lost. God is not willing that any would perish. If you're here tonight and you don't know Christ, as your Savior, 
You don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life because without Christ, you will not spend eternity with him in a place called heaven. According to the word of God, you will split hell wide open. But again, God is not willing. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, the word that is used here is the word commission. See, mission comes from the word meter. And the word meter means to release, to let go, to send. It even carries this idea of to throw. Well, what did Jesus do? He left heaven and came. He was sent to this earth. But before Jesus left, look here. Jesus didn't give us a mission. He gave us a commission. And the commission, the word come, is the word that means with or together. That's why the Bible tells us that ye shall receive power, Acts 1.8. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now, did you hear the word both? How can I, how can, I, how can you witness in Pembroke Pines, Florida, and witness in Dayton, Ohio, and witness in London, England, and witness in, in, in Newfoundland, and witness in Asia somewhere, or in South Korea, or to the rocket man in North Korea, how can we witness to all those people at all times? We can't. But we can witness where God put us. This is our mission field, and we can pray and support those that God would send, meter, that he would mission them, and we can be a part of this commission. The word both means at the same time. Folks, that's what God's plan is, is to reach this world. Well, how does that happen? It is by his authority. He delegates that authority. Just like he sent his apostles out, he gave them power. Go back to Matthew 28, look at it again. Go ye therefore, teach all nations. Look, how is he sending them out? He's sending them out with his power. He is sending us out to do his work with his power. This commission was not to the apostles only. It became the very foundation which the churches, which we're a part of, were built upon because this is the doctrine. In, in the Bible, it's called the apostles' doctrine. Well, where did the apostles get it from? From the Lord Jesus Christ. He taught them. And look at the Bible says in Ephesians 2, verse number 19. The Bible says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Folks, it's our privilege and yet it is our responsibility to make Christ's last command our first priority. Before Jesus went back to be with the Father, he commissioned the church. Go ye therefore. If you study it out, it's not the exact same words, but it carries the same message in all four of the Gospels and the book of Acts. Every one of those references is that you and I need to take the Gospel to every creature, to share the good news with every person. That's our privilege. That's our responsibility. So the commission is why the church exists, to proclaim the Gospel, the good news, to every part of the world. So the, the continuation of the church, how does that happen? Through the Lord's commission. But notice, secondly, it continues through believer's obedience because it's one thing 
for the Lord to commission us. But it's another thing for us to actually go. Now this is where it gets sticky. Because Saturdays, we go soul winning. And my heart is, is that we would be able to try to reach as many folks as possible. And I realize some people work, some people maybe physically aren't able to, but a lot of our folks, just like in every other Bible-believing church, people aren't there to go out. We let the fear of man, we let things that we think, well, I couldn't do that. I couldn't talk to those people. But see, Lord, listen, this is why God left us here, is to be a witness for Him. To tell everybody about how God loves them. And many Christians in America, what we tend to do is we complain about the state of affairs in our country and, and the values of Christianity and how they've gone down. But at the same time, what do we do? We are complaining and griping, but we're neglecting the very commands of our Lord and Commander. And that is not Donald Trump. It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We need to be obeying God's command. It's like those two men that were out fishing on a Sunday morning, and they were out there and enjoying themselves. And one of the men said, he says, I kind of feel guilty for skipping church today. And the other one says, yeah, I know. He says, uh, but I, you know, honestly, I couldn't have gone anyway. And he says, really, why not? And he says, because my wife's sick. You know, we've got excuses all the time why we can't do. But listen, folks, you do understand, as Curtis Hudson said, the only alternative to not going soul winning is disobedience. Because it's not a suggestion by God. It is a command of the Lord Jesus Christ, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. There's a lot of people that used to witness for the Lord. An elderly lady was amazed at how kind her young neighbor was to her. I mean, this young man was always doing something for her. And she asked him one day, she says, how did you become such a fine young man? And the young man said, he says, well, when I was younger, he says, I had a drug problem. And she looked at him and she says, I, I, I can't believe that. And he says, no, really? He says, when I was a boy, my parents drugged me to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and midweek Bible study. You see, when, whenever we raised our children, it didn't matter. A lot of times people miss church because their kids don't feel good. Listen, they, they can go to church and not feel good. You know, we need to understand how very important it is that we obey. The, doesn't the Bible say, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together? I know I'm preaching the choir because you're here tonight. But how many times do we look around and somebody's not here? And there are times where it's something legitimate, but can I tell you, faithful church attendance is not an option for a child of God that's obedient to the Lord because he commands us to assemble. Again, look what the Bible says here in Hebrews 10. Let us not consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaken the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more. Look, look what it says. So much the more as ye see the day approaching. Folks, I don't know how much longer we're going to have. But you can ask this man sitting right here how many times I've texted him and said, are you going to be in church? Now, he knows I love him. But he also knows I'm a jerk and nod on him if he ain't in church. Because I know that being in church is the best thing for God's people. 
and, and listen, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a, a shepherd over the sheep, a lot of times those little lambs, those little sheep, they don't, there are certain things they don't want to do, but guess what? That shepherd says, hey, look, and he, t- he takes that little staff and a crook and he gets around it and he brings it back over. He says, look, you just need to get right over here and do this. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ does for us. He helps us to understand what the church is, this assembling of ourselves. Why do we come to church? Because when we do, we hear the word of God as it's taught and as it's preached. And then what we do is we are commissioned to take the word of God, to take the truth and to go out. In other words, the church has been ordained by God to be what? We read it earlier, the pillar and the ground of what? The truth. It's our responsibility. So look, when you look at this, this beginning of this series, and we're laying the foundation for the, de- the weeks ahead, the church began with Jesus Christ. He's the, the founder. He's the head of the church. He owns the church. Why? Because he purchased it with his own blood. We also understand from the scriptures tonight, not from me, that the church consists of local assemblies of people that are saved and scripturally baptized. It continues today to to obey the commission. Look, it's not what I want as a pastor. It's what God has given to the church, and that is to go into all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then again, it is our privilege that you and I are a part of the church that Christ began over 2,000 years ago. And you think, look, tonight... Maybe right now, maybe if this is new to you, maybe right now your head is spinning. Wow. I didn't realize the church was this big of a deal. We're just getting started, folks. There is so much about the church, and maybe it'll help you understand, because there's no way I can do justice to how much the church means to Jesus. But as we study God's word as our rule of faith and practice, it'll help us to understand that we need to make much about what Jesus made much of. And he loved the church. And you are a part of his church. Let's bow our heads tonight with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I don't know tonight what maybe the Lord spoke to you about. Maybe it was just the sheer fact that you are saved and you're a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe tonight it caused you to be thankful for the fact that you come to a place where you hear the word of God on a regular basis and the truth of God's word is what helps you while you're here and when you leave here to go out on a daily basis and live in this world. Maybe some tonight have found their way in here and Maybe you've been going to church all your life, but maybe God has helped you to understand that you really are not saved. You don't know Christ as your Savior. And can I tell you, you're in a good place because, again, a church is a place where they want to try to help you to understand how you can know for sure. And it's not because of what we think. It's not because of some formula we've come up with. It's because God's given us the truth. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation is of the Lord. And if you need to be saved tonight, then tonight would be a good night to come and to ask the Lord to be your Savior. 
as we get ready to go to the Lord's table, why don't you just take a time to search your heart, reflect on what it is the Lord spoke to you about tonight. Let's stand to our feet tonight with our heads bowed. The piano's playing already. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you want to come tonight, spend some time at the altar with the Lord. If you need to be saved, why don't you come? You've never trusted the Lord as your Savior. You need to do that before it's eternally too late. Some have come already. Why don't you come tonight? Why don't you come and spend some time with the Lord? Trusting the Lord. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. We're about to partake of the Lord's table. The significance of what we're about to do as a body of believers. Remember that juice represents his shed blood. The bread represents his broken body. Jesus gave it all. All to him we owe. Wherever you're at tonight, why don't you, with your heads bowed, why don't you spend just a moment and thank God for what he's doing, what he has done, and what I believe the Lord wants to do in the days ahead.